John 16, and beginning with verse 27. 27. This is a great passage of Scripture. When you get into the uh, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th chapter of John, uh, and the Passion, you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of material here that's, that, that, that is done right before the day Jesus goes to die. And so it's extremely uh, relevant and important. And beginning with verse 27, let's stand together. He says this. And these are astounding words right off the bat. The Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. And then he tells us why. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly. And without figures of speech, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to be asked questions of anyone. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Strong words, strong words. You may be seated. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever and ever and ever. So we've been moving through John. We started John months ago, and we've been moving through John. Jesus is with his disciples here. This is their last time together. So you know that this teaching is extremely significant in what he's trying to convey to his disciples here. So what would, what would I say if I knew this was my last day with you? What would you say if you were facing uh, that hour and it was your last moment with someone that you loved, your last day on earth perhaps? What would you say? So I, I looked at this and I thought, now what is he saying? What is he saying here for us today? And I think a couple of things, uh, and, I'll, and I'll not deal with them all, just a, a few. Uh, the first is that there is no peace without truth. There is no peace without truth. I'd venture to say that you can't understand or evaluate what is in this world without truth, without understanding absolute truth. Absolute truth. Without that, there's no way to find out what's right and what's wrong. Uh, one writer, tongue-in-cheek, said, well, he says, if there's no sing, think, such thing as truth, gallop poles will do. You know, well, that's where people find their truth. Well, we all agree. Gallop poles are said, so this is truth. You know, I know, 
I know the current thought. We all know the current thought. No, 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 no. No absolute truths. No absolute truths. No one can be certain of anything anymore. Everything is historically conditioned or it's culturally conditioned truth. And even if you think you know truth, don't, don't impose it on anyone else. Don't impose it. Now, that's a common position today in our world. And I'd like to show you that it's untenable. I'd like to show you that it's absurd. Life without truth is illogical. Illogical. I read about a hearing just recently in Washington, D.C. A group of environmental experts uh, went before some government regulators and they were trying to show that in one particular industry they needed far more safety measures than what they currently had. And at one point, the environmental expert, and he was exasperated because people kept saying, it's too expensive, it's too expensive, it's just too expensive. And he said, the cost doesn't matter because we know human life is priceless. Another government regulator looked at him with a straight face and said, we have no data on that. We have no data on that. No, 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 no. He's right. He's right. He's right. There's no empirical data to show human life is priceless or expendable. That's a religious belief. That's a value. That's a value that we put on something. And so, so they're arguing about this. Our society, our world is exploding with all kinds of ideas and things. People say we, we can't go to religion anymore because we just don't believe that. We don't believe those things. So we have to have the schools teach values. So our schools have to teach values. I was back when I was teaching school years and years ago, and we were back then we were doing values clarification of what we needed to do and how we needed to teach. So what are the values to be taught? What are the values that are to be taught? Teach people to respect one another. Teach people to love one another. We, we can't be selfish. We, 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 we can't uh, uh, just be out for ourselves, that everything is about us. We can't abuse people. But come on, the, we have no data on that. We have no data on that. You can't prove those things are right. You can't prove those things are wrong. Life is priceless. Without God, with an absolute truth, you don't know that. You don't know that. If God does not exist, if truth does not exist, it's all meaningless. Man, like all biological organisms, must die. There's nothing else, right? Life leads to the grave. It's nothingness. And everyone must come face to face with what the theologian Paul Tillich has called the threat of non-being. The threat of non-being. 
That's a staggering thought. To think that the person that I call Tom, myself, will cease to exist. Gone. Gone. Whether it comes sooner or whether it comes later, death and the threat of non-being cannot be eliminated because it's part of who we are. We're thinking about these things all the time. It's a terrible horror. My life is just a momentary transition. Oblivion to oblivion. The grass withers. The flowers fade. Who cares how I act? Who cares how I live my life? If it ends at the grave, who cares? As Dotovsky put it, there is no immortality, then all these things are permitted. Everything is permitted. Selfishness is a virtue. Be selfish. Sacrifice for the other person, stupid. It's stupid. There's my truth, there's your truth, there's your truth, there's Gary's truth, there's Norm's truth, there's Elsie's truth, truth, truth. Everybody's got their own truth. Everybody's got their own truth. It ends up in chaos. Why take a week and go to Flint in the rain and put roofs on homes, stupid, and paint people's homes? What good does that do? Why do Dick and Dora May spend years and years traveling all over the world on mission trips, medical mission trips, helping people and caring for people, spending countless hours doing that? Why does the prayer group come here every Tuesday morning and keep coming here week after week after week, writing little notes, praying for people in this congregation? Why give your dollars? Why give your dollars? so that we can send assistance to Myanmar and Africa and South America. Why kids without hunger? Why did we do that and load all these things and spend a Saturday doing these things? It makes no sense. The grass withers and the flowers fade. It all comes to naught. Why, why should we do that? Why does Jeff and Carol keep calling me and say they're praying for me? Why should they do that? They got more hurt going on in their lives than I can even fathom. Why does Keith call me up and say, Tom, I was just, Pastor, I was just thinking about you and Mary. How are you doing? Why? Why? Why is Jesus caring at all to take the time here to comfort his disciples? He's dying tomorrow. He's dying tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Here's the truth. The kingdom is coming. We just sang about that. The kingdom is coming. Really. Really. The kingdom is coming. And that kingdom is not of this world and doesn't think like this world thinks doesn't smell like this world smells. The world coming smells like God. Smells like God. Is wrapped up in God. As I have 
love, you want to know how to, how, how to love and what lo- why love is so important? Here's why. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Be devoted to one another. Care for one another in brotherly love. Outdo yourselves in honoring one another. Love your enemies. Those are values. They're biblical values that we have. There's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom coming. And the king of that kingdom says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus said, I'm going to to do it like Joe Biden did it the other day. I wrote this. I wrote this. Of course I'm going to support it. Of course I'm going to support it. We can't have peace without ultimate truth. Without truth. And if society cannot come to a consensus on certain religious truths, things without data, we can't and we will not have peace. Truth. Jesus says there is no way for you to navigate through this life unless you have made some decisions about these religious questions. What are those questions? What am I doing this for? Why am I even preaching today? Why am I here? What am I living for? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Everybody in this room has to have some set of religious truth on which you're basing your lives. If there's no truth, there's no peace. That's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus says, and and Christianity says this, by the way, it's not, not a general truth that we're talking about, some nebulous truth out there that brings peace, but it's the truth about a person. This is in verse 27 in your Bibles. This is the truth about a person. And 27 says something that upsets a lot of people. World don't, world don't like this, you know. It says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I have believed, and you have believed that I've come from God. You have believed that I've come from God. Jesus says here, your relationship with God is based on your attitude toward what I've taught you about myself, right? That's what he's saying. Your attitude about God is is based on what I have taught you about who God is. Now, there's a lot of people who would love Christianity, but they, they want to get rid of Christ. I mean, they love Christianity, what Christianity teaches and all that, you know, we're, we're very big on that. They say, you know, the teachings, the truths Jesus taught are great. Love your neighbor, the golden rule, all of these things, the care for the poor, honesty, integrity, great stuff. It'd be a, it'd be a better world, and I'm all for that. But what hangs me up, what hangs me up, are all these old, strange doctrines about Christ. The incarnation, that God 
came to earth. Fan, too fantastic. Too much. Too much. The atonement, right? The atonement. He shed his blood for us. Too primitive. I mean, come on. And especially this, that he is the exclusive Savior. Other religions are wrong. Can't handle that. <laughs> I can't handle that. Can't we agree on truths from Christ instead of truths about Christ? That sounds plausible at first until you realize what you're asking for is for Christianity to tear its heart out. Christianity to tear its heart out. All religions are ways to God. Sounds broad-minded, but what's being said is it's enough to be good. Pick a truth, any of them. Pick a truth. Pick a religion. Pick a truth. Take a set of truths, believe them, obey them. That's enough to get you. Pick a truth. That's enough to get you to God. Christianity is at its heart completely against that, completely opposed to that. Christianity says that what we've done to our hearts, what we've done to this earth, and is so drastic, and the damage to our natures is so great that God had to do an intervention on this earth. He had to do an intervention on my life, on my soul. His son had to come and die so we could go to the Father forgiven. Now, I've heard people say, Look, Christianity is interesting, but I want to know what's the Christian view of war? What's the Christian view of poverty? What's the Christian view of sexuality? What's the Christian view of homosexuality? What's the Christian view of other religions? I can't come to Christianity until I ha have these issues answered. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You're redefining, you're redefining what God is saying here. Christianity is a relationship first. The Bible says your view about war and poverty and sexuality and all other religions all turns on whether Jesus is who he says he is. You see, everything turns on Christ. If you're wrong about Jesus, you got a lot of wrongs going on. The ramification, now listen to me, the ramifications of that will go beyond politics. They, it will go beyond economics and will follow you all the way into the next world and shape your eternal destiny forever. How you decide that question of who Jesus is will shape your destiny forever. And what's interesting is, if you look down at verse 28 in your scriptures, Jesus actually gives a summary of what truth about him really is. It's a summary, really, of his whole mission. He puts his whole life there. It's in one verse. He says, I came from the Father, and I entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. Now look, look at this. He says, I came from the Father. That's the doctrine of preexistence, his deity, his divinity, right? Right? 
He existed before he was born. I entered the world. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. He became visible. He became a human being. I am leaving the world. That's the doctrine of his death by the, by the way of the cross. And I'm going back to the Father. He's going to sit at the right hand of God and he's going to intercede for us. He's going to be our representative. It's all there. It all fits together. It's all in one, one, one verse. So first of all, the preexistence. He says, I was with the Father and I've come. Jesus is the only person who ever decided to be born. The only person who ever decided to be born. He says, I entered the world. It's an astonishing statement. Here is the great God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the creator, right? The creator who can hurl the, the universe like we throw a Frisbee. You know, the strength and the power and the might becoming a wiggling, crying little baby who needs help like all babies need help to burp. God needing help to burp. Who would have thought this up? Who would have thought this up? Why would God go to such lengths? And the answer is the third doctrine. He was God and he entered into the world in order to leave the world. He came to leave. He was born to die. He came down off his throne to pay a sacrifice. What is that sacrifice? Uh, years ago, a guy by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the minister of 10th Press in, in Philadelphia for years and years and years. And um, I used to go to that church when I was in school there. Um, but he was talking to college students about the atonement. And uh, this is a common illustration you've probably heard before. But he told a story about a judge who had his son that was brought before him, and he was accused of being fraudulent to an unbelievable amount of money in business, a scheme that he had. And the judge listened, and he realized that he was absolutely guilty, and he delivered a guilty verdict, and he threw the book at him. I mean, he, he went to the nth degree as much as he could. The sentence his son had to pay was the fullest extent that the law allowed. It was a bank uh, erupting sum of money. And as soon as he adjourned the court, the judge came off the bench, walked over to the appropriate official, got out his own funds, his stocks, his bonds, his cash, paid the whole price, put himself into bankruptcy. He was telling the story about how God paid everything. How God paid everything. Jesus is God himself. He comes off the bench to take our bankruptcy to himself. Paul says this way, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I came from God. I entered. I'm leaving God. I've given the sacrifice. And lastly, he says, I'm going Back to the Father. That's the doctrine of heavenly intercession. It's the doctrine of him, I'm praying for you. It's what, it's what the prayer group does every week. We're praying for you, praying for you. We're praying for one another. Uh, 
It's the doctrine of him standing there at the right hand of God as our representative. He's representing you, Christians. He's representing me. In Hebrews 7, 25, it says this, Therefore, he is able. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you know God's interceding for you right now? Right now. Right now. <laughs> what I think about it, he, he speaks for me. He represents me. And I think about his, his brilliance, his mind, his diligence. And I, and I get the benefit of all that because, you see, if, if he's my representative, then I'm smart in court. I'm smart in court. If he's my representative, I'm brilliant. If he's my representative, I look like him. You know, back in the Old Testament days when the two armies would come together, you know this from the story of Goliath. Two armies would come together and they would have a big battle. Sometimes they would choose a representative. And there was a technical term for that that they used, which means champion. They would, they would choose a champion to come out in front, and those two champions from one army and another, they would fight. And that fighter represented the whole army. And if he won, the army won, and the entire land was theirs. But if your representative, your champion lost, then you were put into slavery. And the point is, whatever he accomplishes accrues to you. It comes to you. The Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's your champion. He's your champion. Everything he's done, he's done for you. It flows to his people. He represents you. Your case is his case. Your face is the, his face before the Father. Where did Paul get his confidence? I mean, this guy was unbelievably confident. Where did Paul get his world-class endurance to go that extra mile, to push himself from city to city to city and, and, and all the, the conflicts that he was in? Where did he get the kind of patience to run the faith with courage? Where did he get all that? Why go through all that? Live for yourself. Paul could have lived a good life. Didn't need that. Live for yourself. He was continually looking at Jesus. There's a place in Romans 8, you all know it, where he goes through the same four doctrines that are here in verse 28. Look what it says here. You'll see the same thing. He says, who should bring any charge against us. It is Christ, our champion, who died. Same thing. We're looking at the same thing here. Who is risen, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding. Same thing that's being said in John. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see what he's doing here? He's, he deals with his guilt by running to the doctrine of Christ. He runs to Christ. He's dealing with his guilt here. He died for me. Who, who shall separate us? He's interceding. He died for me. 
he deals with his fears. He says, this is the one who's controlling everything for me in my life. He deals with all these needs, all these disappointments. This is where he gets his confidence. This is where we get our confidence as Christian people. And this is the reason he can say, I have real power. Paul, Paul, so what? So what if someone takes advantage of me? I have real riches. I have real riches. So what if my family rejects me? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? If Christ who died, who is risen, who is at the right hand of the Father. Read Romans 8. You want power? You want strength? You want security? You want confidence? Read Romans 8. So where does that lead us this morning? I have told you these things so that in me, that's the key, in me, I'm your champion, you may have peace. You may have peace. And then the last thing I want to say. There's no peace without daring to live and trust on the truth about Christ. And this is an interesting spot. In verse 30, where the disciples say, now we believe. <laughs> He's going to die tomorrow. Well, we finally came around to figure. We, now we believe. Now we believe that you came from God. And look what Jesus says to him in verse 31. He says, you believe, it's almost, you know, <laughs> laughable. You believe at last. At last. I'm dying tomorrow. You believe at last. But look what he says. But the time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. Jesus is going to die in a couple hours. Within hours, he says, you will desert me. And then he says, I'll tell you what belief is. Now listen to me. I'll tell you what belief. Belief is using this truth of the doctrine of Christ, of who Christ is in the furnace. Belief is using this truth in the battles of life, in the things that you struggle with, the things that you're going through, the heartaches that you have, the, the, the persecutions that might come your way, the illnesses that you might have. Using that truth in the battles of life. Jesus says, you're going to have trouble in this life. And when the trouble comes, take heart. I have overcome the world. The words take heart in the Greek literally mean I dare you. It means dare. He says, dare to believe that I have overcome the world. Dare to believe there's a kingdom coming. Dare to believe that this is real. Dare to trust in me. Dare to live as though in all things that I told you are true. Dare to live the truth. Dare to live as the one who tells you these things is God. And if he's God, then the only impractical thing to do would be to disobey. That's impractical. If you believe he's God. Dare to live as if he really is from the Father. Live as if he's God. Dare to live that way. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to his disciples here. I'm going away, but dare to live. 
in me, in me. Dare to love as I have loved. A lot of people uh, take a, a look at the second part of this doctrine that he died for you and now he's representing you before the Father. Because your life isn't going the way you want it to go and things are happening the way you don't want, you're confused about that. You say, well, he can't love me. He's not, he, I can't be, I'm not being loved by God. That, that, I'm, look at all the problems I have. Look at all the issues I have. I, I, he can't be loving me. If he loved me, why is this happening to me? The reason you're discouraged is you're refusing to live as if he loves you. It's not real to you. I, I talked about this several Sundays ago. Is it real to you? Is Jesus real to you? Is it real to you that I will be with you? I will not leave you. I will see you through. Dare to live as if you are loved by God because you are. You all remember the song. I like to use this. and People use it a lot. Pastors like this song. It is well with my soul. You know the song, and you know the story behind the song, the man who lost his children, and he, and he wrote this song. He, he dared to believe that what Jesus said was true. He dared to believe that. Remember when they were halfway across the Atlantic, and there was the accident, the boat sank, and the wife was saved, but the four children, his four children died, and she came back to the States, and they sat down together, husband and wife, and with her husband, they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How, as a Christian, do we deal with this loss? Jesus already told them, in this world you will have trouble. But I tell you these things, that in the world you might have peace. So they wrestled with it. They wrestled with it. And they dared to think and live through their problem as if, all things that they believed about Christ were true. That's why he wrote this song. Then her husband, he wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul. He did exactly what Jesus said you have to do in John 16. You have to go not to truth in general, but you have to go to truth about me, Jesus said. And you have to dare to live as everything that I've told you about me is true, and then you'll have peace. Imagine, imagine, think, think. Christianity is a thinking religion. It's, you've got to think and remember the context of Scripture and, and this hymn of what he's saying here. The first verse says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where does he get that? Thou has taught me. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance, this truth, control, control. See, I, I'm being controlled by truth. Let this assurance, this biblical understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for me and his love for me, let that control the situation. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He's going to the truth about Jesus Christ. He's going to the truth about Christ. What would you do? Your children gone. What would you do? Do you have a truth? Do we have a truth on which your life is built that enables you to do what these people did? When you're buried underneath tragedy after tragedy and things are going wrong in your life, this tragedy is going to crush you unless you do what they did. They ran to the truth about Christ and they dared to believe in their champion. And it was real to them. It was real. Look at verse 4. No, 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 you don't have the books out. I'm talking about the, 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 the hymn. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord will descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. The kingdom's coming, people. The kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. He stands back. He looks at the big picture of everything that's going on here. He says, look, it's horrible. It's horrible. I lost all my kids. But we're going to lose, every one of us is going to lose each other someday. This is earlier than we thought. This is earlier than we thought. But when I stand back and when I look at time and context of eternity, the only real tragedy is not to be a part of the family of God, is not to be in Christ. His family is permanent. His family is forever. And I'm a part of that family. And I can't wait to that day when all of these things will be laid to rest. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. Jesus says, I've told you these things. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He went into me. He went into Christ. He went into the doctrine of Christ and it brought peace to his life. And he dared to live as if the one who told him these things was God. He dared to live and love God. Now, I'll close with this illustration. I thought it was an interesting illustration. But uh, Elizabeth Elliot tells a story, and it almost reminds me of a fairy tale. But a little beggar was sitting by the road, and the king happened to be coming by that day, and the, the beggar was all excited and lifted up his little bowl of rice that he had and uh, expected the king to give him some money. But instead, the king shocked him and said, no, 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 I, 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 I want you to give me something. And the beggar didn't understand that at all. He says, well, what is this? I'm the beggar here. I'm the, it's, it's all about me. I'm the beggar. Uh, you have everything. Why, why would you take anything? For, why would you take something from me? And he was grumbling about it, and he was grumbling about it, and he, he reached in, and he pulled out three grains of rice. 
and he gave them to the king. And the king said, thank you, and went on his way. And as he sped away, the beggar felt in his bowl, and he was shocked to feel something hard. And he pulled out and realized that there were three nuggets of gold in his bowl. And suddenly, it hit him. If only I had given him all my rice. If only I'd given him everything. You see, peace comes when you dare to give him everything. He's Lord. He's Savior. When you dare to live obedient lives before Christ, when it looks like if he's asking, he's only giving. When it looks like he's taking, he's only supplying every day. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Let's pray. So, Father, we, we, uh, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for these eternal truths, eternal truths, absolute truths that come from Scripture on which to build our lives, to reach into the lives of our husbands and our wives and our children, our families, to make the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and to live that with our lives. And Father, we're thankful for these truths that we see in Scripture. And, and as we move now, Lord, to the prayer of Jesus before the Father, just an explosion of, of love and, and truth. Uh, Father, we pray that you would, would, would go before us, prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits for that which is yet to be. And help us to realize, Father, that uh, this life is uh, passing. The grass withers, but the kingdom's coming. And that kingdom is forever. Hallelujah. That kingdom is forever. And help us to hang our lives on that. And to walk with strength, to walk with integrity, to walk in God's goodness and God's love and to live that out before the world. This is our heart and this is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.